0: much in common canada and america a shared border and a language spoken by most english but language can be tricky on a labor day 2020 how do you spell labor in the north you add a u but they would say america dropped it Not all holidays in North America align. Mexicans celebrate Labor Day, or as they call it, Dia de Trabajo, on May 1st. But for Canada and America, today is the day we cease from our labors together. Typically, some cities might see rallies and marches by labor unions, though most people just enjoy a final barbecue or swim before the summer comes to an end. But with COVID this year, things are different. Rest is important. Jesus taught the Sabbath was made to bless people rather than be a burden, but the greatest rest is when we stop trying to earn our own salvation and rest in the completed work of Christ on the cross. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus here on Labor Day 2020, and this is a program we're calling The Day of the Lord. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about. What is it? Why was it a central feature of the prophets, major as well as minor? In scripture, we see it described as that day, the day of, and the day when, appearing nearly 200 times just in the prophets, occasionally in Lamentations, twice in the Psalms, and I haven't even started talking about the New Testament. We're going to explore the day of the Lord in these next few minutes. And I wanna keep asking you, are you ready? We'll be joined in a few minutes by an Old Testament scholar from New College at Edinburgh University. As we talk about the Day of the Lord, I want to then share a spiritual message after we speak with this friend of mine who's a scholar. But before that, I want to share God's Word with all of us. And what better way to do that than to turn to Revelation 21, Karen Heimbach, who memorized the entire book of Revelation, along with the London Symphony Orchestra underneath her
1: it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars. Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride. of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length. That is about one thousand four hundred miles. And as wide as... As it is long, he measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick, that is, about 200 feet by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire. The third chalcedony, the fourth Emerald, the fifth Sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh Chrysolite, the eighth Beryl, the ninth Topaz, the tenth Chrysoprase, the eleventh Jason, and the twelfth Amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold. Like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life.
0: Chapter 21 of The Revelation of Jesus Christ, and we spoke with Karen Heimbach about what she has been doing for a number of years, more than a decade. Karen, thank you so much for doing what you do and what you've done. And and you've shared with me before about how children have been encouraged to learn more of the Bible uh, by hearing you recite the Revelation. What about adults and memorizing Scripture? Hasn't this encouraged them to want to memorize Scripture?
2: I would have to say, Charles, that... uh the greatest affirmation of what I do uh, by presenting the book of Revelation especially is uh, that it has inspired and encouraged others to memorize uh, the Word of God, and not just Revelation, but many portions of Scripture. There's a church in Fresno, California, where the ladies, after I spoke to their uh, ladies' retreats a couple years in a row, they were inspired to start their own home groups on uh, memorizing Scripture. Some of them would choose chapters, others would choose books. And so, you know, several years ago, they had already memorized uh, over 100 chapters and a number of books. And that's just one church that really caught the vision for it. There's another church up in New Brunswick, Canada, that uh, is doing the same thing. I received an email from a girl who was 17 years old from Ontario, Canada, and uh, she was a homeschooled student, and she was so inspired that she has already memorized Revelation and is working on—her goal is memorize the whole New Testament, <laughs> so she's really going for it. And this is the thing that gratifies me the most. This is the greatest testimony that I can hear is that others are already hiding God's Word in their heart. It's just marvelous because that's the kind of ripple effect that you want going out.
0: Karen Heimbach, thank you for sharing just a moment with us. I'd like you, as we start this new week together, to have this two-CD set of The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Karen Heimbach reciting dramatically, but it's just the text. That's all it is. And then an original score performed by the London Symphony Orchestra in the Abbey Road Studios but you need to call us and make your gift and then ask for the revelation, the two-CD set. Our number is 800-654-2836. That's 800-65-HAVEN. Or you can visit our website at haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. And now let's go to Edinburgh, Scotland. We reached a friend of mine who I first met in Africa. He's an Old Testament scholar at New College, University of Edinburgh. David Reimer, my brother in the Lord, welcome back to Haven today.
3: Pleasure to be with you, Charles.
0: David, I've been anxious about asking you about this term, the Day of the Lord. Where does it first show up? How does it work its way through the Old Testament? And then, of course, can you carry that over to us in the New Testament? How does this come into prophecy?
3: Well, in fact, we have to start with prophecy because the point in the Old Testament where the day of the Lord first emerges clearly is in the book of Amos. Now, Amos is probably one of our earliest writing prophets. Some would think he is the earliest writing prophet, Uh, middle of the 8th century, caught up in the events that... uh, the crisis, in fact, that was going to lead to the downfall of the northern kingdom of Judah. And as, a, as part of the warnings that Amos gave to the people of Israel, he warned them about the day of the Lord. I mean, the context seems to be that the day of the Lord was something that Israelites were looking forward to, were eagerly anticipating. Uh, why that was is another question. But whatever the reason, Amos tells them, and Amos, we have it in Amos chapter 5, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? And he goes on to describe it a little bit. And then he says in Amos 5 verse 20, isn't the day of the Lord darkness and not light mm. and gloom with no brightness in it? So that, that's where we first see a very clear expression of the day of the Lord. From there, it spreads into other prophetic books. And, and we can talk about that for a moment uh, if you like, but that's, that's where it comes. It's context, this misplaced hope uh, that God was going to do something for his people, and Amos' warning that the day wasn't going to be what they thought it was.
0: I always thought the day of the Lord first showed up in Isaiah, and, and it is there.
3: It is there. Yes, it is there in Isaiah, two or three times, in fact. Uh, Isaiah and Amos were prob- roughly contemporary, but Amos almost certainly earlier. Than Isaiah, Isaiah was still around in uh, 722 when the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians. We we don't get that sense with Amos. We get the sense with Amos that he's a little more distant from those events, can see them on the horizon. Uh, so probably starts with Amos uh, and then goes to Isaiah.
0: And then this phrase, "Day of the Lord" or "Day of Yahweh," uh, shows up in other prophets as well, doesn't it?
3: Yes, it does. It's sprinkled not so often in the uh, major prophetic books, but certainly in, in the collection of the twelve minor prophets, which I'm sure you know is, a, is one prophetic scroll, a, a collection of prophetic sayings, much as the book of Jeremiah is the collection of Jeremiah's sayings. And in the collection of the minor prophets, the day of the Lord is there from, well, it's in Joel. Which in, mm-hmm. in our ordering of the books comes slightly earlier, mm-hmm. but almost certainly put there because Joel has a keen interest in developing the idea what is the day of the Lord about? And Joel is largely concerned with that question. It's in Obadiah, it's in Zephaniah, and then almost at the very, very end, uh, it's, it closes the book of Malachi uh, with an anticipating the great and terrible, the great and awesome day of the lord so really i like the glue that holds the minor prophets together
0: now david i know you're an old testament scholar but we're at the bridge now so i want you to talk to me from the new testament
3: <laughs> you're going to let me talk about the new testament
0: too? <laughs> that's right that final messianic verse there in malachi that ends our old testament it's carried over in the book of acts isn't it yes it's a significant connecting point
3: showing us how integral Old and New Testament are to each other. So, we weren't there, actually, as old as we are, Charles, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, on the day of Pentecost. Peter's preaching the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, and he's weaving together these prophetic passages uh, to demonstrate that this Jesus who was crucified and has risen again is, in fact, the Messiah, the one that these prophetic passages pointed towards. And in doing so, he picks up that very verse from Malachi that we just mentioned, that there is the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And one of Peter's points is that this is the day of the Lord. This is the day when you should meet that uh, Lord in repentance and faith.
0: Well, there is speaking of a day or the day, but then I guess as Martin Luther described it, there is that day. Mm -hmm. And I guess that day is carried all the way over to Revelation.
3: Yes, and and, uh, again, it runs like a thread, much like through the minor prophets we have it through the New Testament epistles until it reaches its consummation in the book of Revelation. I think some of the most significant points it comes is, in the earliest Christian writings we probably have, the letters of Paul to the church at Thessalonica, they're already concerned that the day of the Lord has come and, and somehow passed them by, and Paul... They're concerned to reassure them that the day of the Lord is coming uh, and they'll know when the day of the Lord is come. But in the meanwhile, it, it should be in their thoughts as a constant spur and inspiration, even to live holy lives, knowing that the day of the Lord will bring to light all those things that God intends judgment to do.
0: Mm. David, so how then are we as Christians? to look forward to this day of the Lord today?
3: It's a good question, and it's the question that all of these passages we've been discussing really want us to consider. Whether it's Amos in the Old Testament, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost, Paul writing to his churches, each of them used the day of the Lord as a way of encouraging the people of God to live holy lives with their minds set on on things above and not on things beneath. It's an interesting way in which security and insecurity security and danger uh, run throughout these passages if if we are wrongly oriented to the day of the lord it's a day of danger if we're rightly oriented to the day of the lord it's a day of security and hope and all of our passages uh, encourage us then and now to be rightly oriented to the day of the lord so that in that day we can have hope and have security and not live in the kind of terrified fear that's the opposite of knowing the fear of god which encourages
0: hope dr david reimer at new college edinburgh university you were not over my head thank you so much for that and thank you for joining us here on haven today
3: always a pleasure charles
0: This is Haven Today, the day of the Lord. It's a biblical promise, and it's tied in with our Lord coming again. Are you ready? There, see, I did it. I ask that again because it makes a difference right now. It changes how we live in four ways, at least. First way, the day of the Lord fills us with joy. The fact that Jesus is coming again should wake all of us up to the fear of the Lord. It should bring us to repentance, but the overwhelming feeling we should have as we look forward to his return is joy. If we belong to Jesus, then the day of the Lord will be a great day, the day we receive our inheritance, the day of our wedding, the day when every longing of our hearts will be filled in ways that we can't even begin to think about. And having that hope makes a huge difference in our lives right now. We're meant to live our lives in eager expectation for Christ Jesus to come again, like a little child waiting for Christmas. We have a glorious future ahead of us, and it could happen even today. Martin Luther said he only had two days on his calendar, today and that day. Today is the day I can serve the Lord, but I do it waiting for that day, and that day could be today. 1 Thessalonians was referred to by David Reimer. It says in chapter 4, 16 through 18, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command or shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever. Great words from Paul. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. But second, the day of the Lord reminds us of who we are. And we can't forget that. We can live down to our low expectations for ourselves and for what life can be, but our life isn't here. It's in the next life. It's in heaven with Christ, and it will be lived in the future in the new heavens and the new earth. But who we are and what we have, it's hidden in him. But when Jesus appears, we will appear. Who we really are will be revealed, will be transformed into his glory, will be set free. Right now we're the sons and daughters of God, but on that day we'll be glorified. And that means we'll come into our own with him, We'll fully be who we are in Christ. The whole creation is groaning, waiting for that day when who we really are will finally be revealed. Romans eight nineteen 19-25, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And that means daughters too we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. Third, the day of the Lord shows us how to suffer. The trouble and grief and pain of life can be overwhelming, but the return of Jesus helps us keep it in perspective. We can compare our suffering the glory of the day of the Lord and know that even though suffering is big, the glory to come is much bigger. Romans eight sixteen through 18, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Suffering is just for a little while. And then that day will come and it will end. And the glory of that day will make our sufferings seem like nothing. They'll all be swallowed up by his victory. All the tears will be wiped away. The eternal joy will come and it will far outweigh the short-term sufferings we have to endure here and now. And fourth, the day of the Lord shows us what we're meant to be doing right now. We're meant to be living like servants waiting for the master to return. We're meant to live like those who want to be found doing what he's told us to be doing. We want to be ready and waiting and watching and imagining how glorious it'll be for him to find us that day. Jesus said in Luke twelve 37, it'll be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table, and he will come and wait on them. What about you? Are you ready? Before we go, David Reimer, New College, Edinburgh University, still on with us. David, would you mind leading us in prayer? It would be my privilege, Charles. Let's pray.
3: Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for those who have spoken truly in your name uh, over the millennia and have encouraged your people to live faithful lives as good stewards of all that you've entrusted into our care. Thank you that we can look forward to the day of the Lord with hope, knowing that it's a day of judgment, knowing that there is one who has taken our judgment on him. So we pray that as your people seek to live faithful lives in whichever nation you've called us to, that we would have our eyes so fixed on that day that we will live according to your ways walking in ways that are pleasing to you and knowing your favor for it's in jesus name we pray
0: amen amen this is haven today and we're calling the program the day of the lord on this labor day weekend and i can't say it enough are you ready i think it's very important as a question that all of us need to answer But I'd like to invite you now to pick up your phone and call us and make a minimum gift here on this Labor Day Monday and help support the ministry that's all about Jesus. But I want to then send you the two CD set, The Revelation of Jesus Christ by Karen Heimbach and the London Symphony Orchestra. Our number to call is 800-654-2836. And yes, it may be a holiday, but we're answering this number even today, 1-800-654-2836. Or you can come for a visit online and our web address where you can make your gift and get the revelation is haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. I just want to say thank you for joining me here on the program. Won't you come back again tomorrow? as we start a new series called Seven Churches in Four Days. And we'll do that in light of the great story that's all about Jesus, here on Haven Today.
4: Here for your encouragement and your walk with God, this is David Wolin with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Jesus was crucified on a Friday and rose again on Sunday. But have you ever wondered what Jesus was doing on Saturday? The Bible doesn't give us many details, but we do know this. When the Jews had challenged him asking, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And so that Saturday, Jesus was proving that he was truly dead which means he also truly rose from the dead. And if you belong to Jesus, then according to God's word, that same power is at work in you. You can get Anchor Devotional delivered in print monthly at getanchor.com.